Hello, hello. It's Sunday, so you know what that means. This is Twisted Wicked Crime with me, Christina. And also, you heard that beer pop, so you know I am recording this on a Friday night. I am tired, so let's see if I make it through this with uh, not too many word fumbles, okay? (laughs) It's been a long day and a long week, but I'm going to take a quick sip. So cheers. Hello. How is everybody? Every time I log in, I continue to be amazed as my numbers keep going up and up and up. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for your continued support. I love doing this. You know, I absolutely do. And, you know, it's been nice and cool here in the mornings pretty much. So I think fall is finally arriving here in Arizona. But I do have my fall candles going right now. And I actually have one in the room with me right now. It's a pumpkin apple. So I'm throwing that vibe out there continuously. And I'm just really going to jump into today's case because frankly, I really didn't want to do this case. It's bad. This man is scary. And before I do, I do want to say that one of these days I'm going to figure out how to link my socials and stuff down below, which I'm bad at, but I'm going to figure that out one day. So I don't have to always say it at the end of every episode. We'll figure that out. But um, this is a case where this man is evil beyond belief and has zero remorse for his actions. As I mentioned, this case terrifies me and it actually feels like it belongs in a horror movie. So we're just going to dive right into it because once we do, we can't turn back. Today we're talking about Jamie Osuna, the man with a thousand faces. And you probably saw that by the title. Um, This guy is just all kinds of wow. I've done some nasty cases, some brutal ones. You know, I've done cannibalism. Hell, I did the Toy Box Killer and Ken and Barbie, and they are bad. But this one terrified me like no other. And as I mentioned, I almost didn't want to do this. But here we are. Jamie Osuna was born on March 7th, 1988. And that's actually younger than me by five years, which scares me that he's younger than me and capable of doing what he does. He was born in Bakersfield, California. For my out-of-country folks, that is about 100 miles outside of Los Angeles, California. So the home of Disneyland and Anaheim and all that good stuff. And for reference to my folks who know Arizona, that's like a drive from where I live to Phoenix, Arizona. It's roughly about a two-hour drive. So he was born into an underprivileged, mixed-race Christian family, which doesn't seem like a bad thing, not at all. I mean, they don't have a lot. They're religious. They're forgiving people, at least from the outside, right? I mean, what's, there's nothing wrong with being underprivileged and having a hard time. But, I mean, when you read that and you research that, you think, this is a good family. Well, that's not the case with this family. Does anybody else surprised by that? Did you know I was going there? Yeah. Do I ever do a case, really, where they have a good family? I do, but 90% of the time or more, they grow up in a shitty household and... That was Jamie. 
Jamie's mother, Michelle, was hardly in his life. She was there, but her presence was not there like a mom needs to be with a child. I mean, I guess she was around, but that's where his father was not around. He was like never there. And why he left and when, I don't really know, but he did take off. And um, he took off when Jamie was very early age. I'm not sure like what age. I couldn't find any record of that, but he's not in Jamie's life and his mom's not really present in the way that she needs to be. Jamie did have a stepdad and his name was Jeff, which, yay, right? A stepfather for him, like a father figure. Boy needs a father figure. But no, this is really sad. He would have been better off without a dad at all. And that's a really sad thing to say. But Jeff was a piece of shit. Jamie was never shown any kindness or love from Jeff or actually any other male figure in his life. And now remember, as I always say, we can feel bad for the child that they were, but not the person that they become. That just sucks. Like a boy needs a male figure or a father figure in his life. And I'm not saying that like a stepdad has to be that major role for him, but just better than Jeff. Anyway, Jeff's a piece of shit. There was daily psychological and physical abuse and some tortures that he went through. Jamie was actually just left to fight his own demons completely alone. Which actually, before I continue, I want to quickly share a quote from his ex-wife, which pretty much says the way he became is his upbringing. She reported that very few people are born evil. It's rare. I believe it's nurture over nature with Jamie. I mean, she's an ex. She probably, she doesn't know him very well, but she's saying that his upbringing is what made him the way he is, which a lot of times it is. But with him, I kind of disagree. He's pure evil. And I think he was born this way. And I think his household just kind of enticed that, of course. But you can decide for yourself, of course. I'm actually not sure how familiar this case is. So among those daily things, his mother would not stick up for him or defend him, which just makes that situation even worse. See, she herself was afraid and threatened that if she did, she would suffer the tortures herself from her new husband, Jeff. Jamie experienced hell, absolute hell. And this is sad, you guys. This is, this is absolute hell. This would be hell. He was forced to sit at the dinner table and watch all his siblings get and eat dinner while he got nothing. Ah, oh, come on. That's just brutal. But it does get a little worse. He would eventually get to eat dinner, but he was forced to eat it off the floor like a dog. Well, you think it can't get worse? Well, Michelle, his mother, spoke of a time when Jeff pushed Jamie out of a moving car while he was strapped in a car seat. I'm sorry, what? He pushed him out of a moving car in his car seat when he was a baby. I don't know like the exact age, but he was car seat age. That is so fucked up. This kid didn't have a chance at a normal life for himself. And again, I think he was born evil and this just adds to it. 
After rushing back to try to find Jamie, she found him on the side of the road, still strapped in his car seat. And by some miracle, he was sitting upright on the road. And that car seat most likely saved his life. Now, he seemed fine, but if he was fine, they wouldn't really know for sure since, well, good old Daddy Jeff refused to take him to the hospital to get checked out. He basically was like, he's fine, and they just went about their day. And like I said, I'm not sure how old he was at this point, but hopefully it's not something that he would remember. And hopefully it didn't have too much of an impact on his life. I It might since the things he does. He could have gotten a bump on his head that triggered something. Even though there's no psychological stuff that was found in Jamie later on, who's to say being thrown out of car didn't do something? Now, all of his tortures and abuse would go undocumented. So what I'm telling you all came from family members who were there when the incidents occurred, which is really sad that family members watched this happen and they didn't report it. But a few did. So, you know, there was a couple police reports that were recovered. So somebody in his family did do right. And one of the reports stated that Jeff, when Jamie was five years old, tied him to a tree and then whipped him so hard because all Jamie did was spill juice on the floor. He tied his stepson to a tree and whipped him like raw because he was five years old and spilled juice on the floor. And I feel bad for his mom. I really do. I feel like maybe she wanted to help, but she couldn't get out because of fear. And we all know too well, sadly, that when one is in an abusive relationship, it's hard to leave or you might end up dead yourself. But Jeff is just that piece of shit on the ground that you accidentally step in and then you drag it across the ground to get it off your shoe. That's what Jeff is. Now, there's another incident that was reported where his uncle threw a brick at his head. Now, Jamie was just getting the abuse and torture from all ankles. It didn't matter. The family member. Can you imagine this poor five-year-old is just scared shitless, probably trying not to make a noise or do anything wrong or even knowing what's right from wrong? Jamie actually would later go on to say that in his earlier years, he never learned what right from wrong was. This was what he knew, violence and abuse. It didn't matter if he did do right, he was still abused because all of this was normal or what he thought was normal behavior. His mom, Michelle, would only hug her son when Jeff's back was turned. Something you should know, Michelle had been in abusive relationships before, which is another sad thing that I feel so bad for women out there who su- who go through this. When you get out of an abusive relationship and you get into another one, and I know it's not your fault, but I feel bad for you. So she's been in these abusive relationships before, and this was not a new game to her. She really did love her son, but she wouldn't show that in an affection in front of Jeff. Jeff the ass would tell her all the time, you can't embrace or love your son. You do that with me. That he comes before Jamie ever would. Like, wow, I don't have words for that one. Michelle would just let the incidents happen or show the love behind Jeff's back. 
I want to know what he looks like. I feel like I feel like he looks like a giant booger, you know, like a gross giant booger. Right? I don't know. I feel like he looks like a booger. Jamie later in life would attend therapy with with his new wife, and he would admit to her in these sessions that he was being molested as a child, but he wouldn't say by who. And that really doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise anybody else? I mean, this whole family is shit. Jamie is growing up without knowing right from wrong, and at the age of nine is when we get a first glimpse of what he becomes. Nine years old, guys. Super early. He began torturing and killing animals, and this included him being home alone one time and putting a live cat in the freezer. My God, those poor animals and that poor cat. That cat was in there for about 15 minutes before it gets let out. And miraculously, that cat was still alive. But then he repeats the same thing. Okay, bear with me. This poor cat. But this time he does it with the oven. And the oven is on. That is disgusting. That poor, sweet, little, innocent cat. You guys, I love cats so much. I love animals. Like, I hate when people torture animals. And that cat, oh, oh poor kitty. I'm going to take a clip sit by my bear because that's disgusting. And you know I'm drinking that mango IPA from New Belgium. Shout out, New Belgium. Sponsor me. Well, finally, a silver lining Well, one would think it didn't really matter to Jamie, though. But in the year 2000, when Jamie was 12 years old, his stepdad, Jeff, would pass away from a heart attack. Yay. (laughs) Fuck off, fucker. Rotten hell. This doesn't matter in a sense to Jamie because the damage was already done. And he was actually living with his grandparents for a little while before Jeff passed away. Now, if he had a fighting chance, this might have been it. But sadly, no, it wasn't. You'd think living with your grandparents would be nice, but his grandfather was also not a father figure to him, and he actually really hated Jamie. So that's nice. I'm going to say it again. This family is all kinds of fucked. His behavior got worse into his teen years, and that's when he joined local gangs and started using drugs. He then, of course, had run-ins with the law, and at the age of how old was he uh i think he was probably like 15 ish maybe i don't know well anyway at the age well what am i trying to say i'm getting tripped up on my notes i got lost in my notes okay here we go he had run-ins at the law and feet low-key which means I hope I'm saying that right. Feet Loki. Feet feet Loki do is what um, but I should say. Which means the little crazy one, aka Jamie's street name, he was arrested for the first time. And I think he was like 15 years old-ish, maybe. His second arrest was more significant and would defy his years later to come. In 2008, Jamie met a woman, and we're actually going to call this woman Beth because her name isn't released to the public due to protection. 
which I totally understand. And that is the ex-wife that I was referring to um, when she said that it's nurture over nature and she thinks that Jamie's past was the cause for the way he treated her uh, or just how he turned out, really. So Jamie meets Beth, who is 37 years old, at um, her son's 16th birthday party. Now, at this time, Jamie's 20 years old, so there's quite the big age difference, which there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just kind of, what is he doing there? (laughs) Now, Beth was having a good time dancing, and she was even dancing with one of her son's friends. Now, her son sees this, and he's upset, and he goes over to Jamie to get this so-called friend away from his mom. Now, I don't know how this kid, I don't think this kid really knew Jamie. I think he just was like, hey, get this kid off my mom. Like he knew he was older. But the only issue was that Jamie just didn't like tell him to shoo away, go away, leave her alone. It bothers her son. No, he grabbed a butcher knife from the kitchen and then started chasing after this kid. And it was almost kind of like he was trying to protect Beth, even though they just met at this party. Which again, I'm going to say, what is Jamie doing at a 16-year-old's party? I really have questions on that. Like, how did he end up there? Jamie ended up in jail over this because he didn't just chase him with a knife. He stabbed the kid. My God. His wounds, they were mostly superficial and fairly shallow. But this poor kid was just mostly scared and really shaken up. I'm like, okay, thankfully he's okay. But still, that is just fucking crazy and this kid that he chased with the butcher knife also didn't know Jaime or Jamie prior to this so he must have been scared shitless when this man chases after him with a knife I would have peed myself again this is Jamie and he's at a 16 year old's party doing what god knows what oh that's right chasing people around with a butcher knife fucking questions I have so many questions So Jamie does some time for this, and while he's in prison, he starts to write to Beth, and they're writing letters back and forth. They're just becoming like the bestest of friends, pen pals, letter buddies, whatever you want to call it. Beth didn't think much of Jamie at first, and it was just purely a friendship with her, which is weird to me. She's 37 and he's 20 at her kid's party, essentially, right? She's... He chased and stabbed a kid while there, and you want to be his friend, maybe lover? I'm not judging. I mean, there's a lot of girls that, like, fan out and rape people in jail and stuff. I, It's just interesting that there are people out there like that, and it's just kind of weird to me. I'm not judging you if you are one of those people. Now, Beth definitely loved the attention she was receiving from Jamie. I mean, who wouldn't like attention? I mean, who doesn't like a little love and attention? I love it. Doesn't everybody? So Jamie is in prison and a year passes. Well, about a year. And it's November 2009. And Jamie gets released from prison. So he spent a year in there for that stabbing. And I'm not going to go down that road because homie should never been let out. I know it was just a non-life-threatening stabs, but they should have kept him in because what he does later is so much worse. So he gets released and it's like, hey, I need a ride. I have no no one to take me home. 
So who does he call? He calls Beth. He quickly calls her. And he says, hey, I'm out of prison. Can you come pick me up? Well, Miss Beth, she jumps quickly at the chance to go pick him up. Okay, weird. Well, whatever. You do you, girl. She gets there and she sees him standing outside with freshly new tattoos across his face. This is where he becomes scary. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a scary person, individual for doing what he does, but this is the goal for him to start his transformation to look like the Joker. Yep, the Joker from Batman. And it's terrifying. He has tattooed clown makeup above and below his left eye and that sinister Joker smile tattooed across his face from ear to ear. Along with the smile, he also has some other random tattoos on his face as well. And I'm not judging appearances. Like I'm like not a huge girl. I'm a bigger girl. Like I'm a little overweight, but you know, bigger, but that doesn't reflect who I am on the inside. But with Jamie, his face is scary and it definitely matches his insides. I mean, if you got tattoos on your face, that's great. I don't care. I love tattoos. Like I have five myself and I'd get more if I could. I mean, I can, I'm a grown up, right? They're just expensive. <laughs> like when you have a house and stuff to buy and a child, like tattoos aren't kind of the priority, but hey, maybe I should just go to jail like Jamie and get them tattooed in prison. That would be free, right? Maybe work out in there. Maybe I'd lose some of this chub. Okay, well, she picks him up, and on the way back, Jamie says, hey, we should stop and get a hotel room. Beth, without hesitation, says, yeah, let's do that. She very well knows what he means by that, and she's all for it, and that's just gross. She's full of surprises, isn't she? I mean, I can't, can't judge a book by the cover, but what he did, and she picks him up out of prison, and he looks like that, and she just goes... <laughs> Okay, for Beth and for Beth is and maybe him, Beth mentioned it was like, well, for her, she mentioned it was just sex and a one night stand and nothing more. I'm not sure about him. And that would have been the, it exactly it would have been a one night stand if Beth didn't get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <sighs> so she goes to tell Jamie that I'm, hey, guess what? That little rendezvous that we had in the hotel. I'm pregnant. What do you think Jamie did? It's kind of like not what I was expecting. She tells him and he's just overjoyed with excitement, which, okay, right on. He wanted to be the father he never had. He wanted his kid to grow up to be loved and wanted to do things right, which homie doesn't know right from wrong, but he wanted to be that best father figure ever, which, eh. Beth wasn't looking for this, obviously, but Jamie was in love with her. With the affection and kindness that he was showing her and the baby on the way, and her son, this made Beth actually fall in love with Jamie, to each their own. 
But to clarify, though, she wasn't in love with him. She was just in love with the care that he was providing. Okay, so this could be life-changing for him, right? He could turn around, but, you know, he had a bad, bad childhood. That doesn't mean anything. He doesn't want that for his kid. I can respect that. But with him, I hate this guy. And I haven't even really said anything that bad that he's really done yet. So you know that that's not the case, right? You know he's not number one father. So Jamie and Beth decided to get married and Jamie was just this like groomzilla. <laughs> he just like overcared about um, the wedding, which is not a bad thing. And, you know, he really wanted like the most beautiful cake and the most nicest ceremony. He was just almost a little overzealous, but like in a nice way, it's kind of weird. So they did get married and they got married at Jamie's grandparents' house with a small group of people. And the cake, yep, it was elaborate. <laughs> they got married in February prior to the baby being born. And on August, or no, in August 2010, they welcomed their baby into the world. Jamie was just over the moon and he was an amazing father right away. He gave up his gang life, his drugs, and he was super loving and caring to this baby and Beth. Everything was going great, but only for a month. This flipped, of course. Of course they did. In September, Jamie, turning into his family very quickly, he became controlling and abusive with Beth. He was mentally and physically abusive. During a fight, this is awful, Jamie stole Beth's mom's ashes and never gave them back to her. He never told her where, she, where her mom was. She never got them back, and that's just really sad dude that's really fucked up that's her mom give it back now jamie would be arrested and sent to jail several times for various things he would get arrested and go to jail then release and then do something else several of these reasons would be for their marital fights and the abuse beth was like i'm not taking this assault anymore and she very quickly filed for a divorce and a restraining order against him so good for her. Well, eh, this would only make matters worse for them because the friction between them would intensify. <sighs> I just don't know. Like, oh, God. Okay, sorry. I was kind of getting tripped up on my words there. I had to pause it for just a quick second while I got whatever nasty was in my throat. <laughs> like... Oh, I'm sorry. You guys didn't want to know that, but I had to like hawk up whatever was in there. So hopefully I sound better. I was like, why am I sounding so hoarse? Like I sounded awful, I think. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So like I said, um, their friction between them would just be horrible. And in 2011, it was Halloween Eve when Jamie was released from prison yet again. But this time his face was completely covered in tattoos. His Joker tattoos were complete, and his life was just amazing. No, it's freaking scary. If I saw a man like this on the street, I would try not to judge, but it would give me the bad chills. He's got, like, big-time clown makeup tattooed on him, and that Joker smile permanently on there. Like, ee! 
And I'm going to post pictures of him and I'm apologizing now because you're going to have nightmares. And I'm sorry. Oh, don't hate me. All right. So here we go. This is one that's going to get very bad and very scary. Just a week after his release, he starts harassing his ex-wife, Beth. Anybody surprised by that? One night, Jamie started driving up and down her street, and he was repeatedly calling her on the phone. He would threaten her by saying he was going to blow her head off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That gives me the bad chills. Beth is terrified, obviously, and she panics, rightfully so. That's fucking scary. She calls the police over and over with hopes that someone would come and help her, but police didn't come right away, which I would seriously be pissing my pants if I was her because he's just like driving up and down her street and he just said he was going to blow my head off. Um, No, you're getting your ass here now, but it's no fault to her. She was like fourth in line on a stream of emergency calls and they didn't have the resources or anyone at the moment to get to her. They were all on the other calls. So she just kind of came late in the queue, which is, oh my God, my heart. Like, oh my heart. Well, they did arrive later, thankfully. She and the kids were okay other than being shaken up. But at this point, Jamie has, he's gone. He fucking took off. Like, Bye. Before the police got there, Jamie made one final call to her before taking off. And I'm going to quote exactly what he said because this is what she says on the 911 call. He said, watch the news, bitch. I just killed the woman at the El Morocco Hotel. Okay, this asshole tells her he's going to blow her head off, then tells her he just murdered someone. He is beyond terrifying her. Beth calls the police again, and this is when she flat out asks them, has anything been reported on the El Morocco Hotel? They inform her that they've received no calls about the El Morocco Hotel, but like, can they really if they did? I mean, I don't think they can, can they? I mean, she did tell them what he said to her on that 911 call. I just, I, I just never heard of them like disclosing information. So at this point, 911, the police, everybody, they all believe that this was just an empty threat, like so many others that he's made with her. Until five days later, when hotel staff at the El Morocco Hotel called 911 to report a murder. Ah, this poor cleaning person. The cleaning person on duty opened a room to clean and just opened it to a bloody, bloody scene. And that room had to smell something rank. There was 37-year-old Yvette Pina, and that is what the cleaning person came upon. She was brutally murdered and tortured with graphic details that aren't being released i tried to find them trust me because you know i like to give you the nasty which is weird that i do that but you're here for true crime and i want to give you as much information as possible i just know that it was brutal and it was brutal torture so jamie where are you at where are you hiding Coroners ruled her death as blunt force trauma, asphyxiation, 
and sharp forced injuries. This poor girl went through hell. Police knew right away where they were going to look for their murderer. (laughs) Duh. They knew exactly who they needed to find. Jamie Osuna. They knew from Beth's 911 call telling them what he said about murdering at the hotel just five days earlier. But, you know, Jamie was in hiding, so they got some undercover officers to go out on the hunt. They actually even, this is so amazing, they even hired a Beth lookalike undercover person, and then they made that person drive like a Beth's car around a a town or one that looked just like her. I can't, I wasn't too sure about that, but um, (laughs) they were trying to lure Jamie out of wherever he was hiding. He is their numero uno suspect. Numero uno, for those of you who don't speak Spanish, that means number one. You're welcome. It took another five days till they found him when police received a tip that Jamie was hiding at his great-grandparents' house. Bingo. They go there and they find him and his ass is arrested. We love to see it. But it's not over. During questioning, all he did was obsess, completely obsess over Beth and denied, denied, denied having anything to do with Yvette's death. When they said, Beth told us what you said that night that you were driving up and down his street, his response was, they were taking her responses out of text. Whatever she says is fabricated. She's just scared of everything. Well, this dude is dumb. You love a dumb criminal too, right? You were the only one that knew about that murder before anyone else did. And they know that. That can't be a coincidence that you just happened to know that before anybody else did. That'd be a huge coincidence. Like, which, by the way, his argument is just a coincidence, right? Like, now Jamie's locked up now and awaiting trial. When a reporter interviews him, he tells this reporter that he's innocent and he's sticking with that story. In early 2017 is when his trial is set to begin. And here comes another reporter, which Jamie accepts the invite to talk to her. Miss Olivia Revoice. I hope I am saying her last name right. She sat down with him expecting to hear the same old story about his innocence. Only... She was hoping that some of the evidence that she knew from the case that was upcoming from the trial would give her an advantage to give him to talk or squirm or just anything. She was on her point and A game ready for his BS. But she was almost shocked when Jamie started telling her every single detail and fully admitted to murdering a vet. She must have like had one of those trusting faces. He went over everything, including how he did it. If I was her, I wouldn't know what to say, and I would be terrified. She interviewed him for quite a while, too. Now, Olivia is a badass when it came to reporting this case, and we owe a lot of what we know about this case to her. So thank you, Olivia. Who knows why he decided to tell Olivia, but he did. He tells her his reasoning for killing her was he saw an opportunity and he had to take it. I really have no words for that. This isn't over, my friends. It does get worse. I'm giving you a warning now, okay? 
If you know this case, you know it's coming. But there's more, I promise. Court day is here and his defense team did not want him to plead guilty. But Jamie was like, nope, I'm pleading guilty. I did it. I admit that I did it. He told Olivia days earlier that his defense team won't allow him to. So jumping back a few days earlier, Jamie didn't want a trial, but he just wanted to move on. He didn't want to drag it out. He said, let them have their closure, which he doesn't care if they get closure or not. He was like, I admitted it. I don't want to do the whole court thing. It's useless. And it's just sad, really, because the families need that closure. So here we are on the first day of trial. And Jamie is seen mocking Yvette's family while they took the stand. Evil, evil, evil. I'm going to post the picture, but he was seen yawning while in handcuffs and using hand gestures to show that they were like talking too much. Like, you know, you can't see my hands, but I'm like mimicking, like you're talking too much. And he's like yawning. I think he was like yawning during Yvette's mom's testimony. This guy is such an asshole and he's not giving a fuck about anything. Now that same day, Olivia tells the family that she had Jamie's confession on tape that he did this. She did this since his defense team is plain that he's not guilty. This tape gave more than enough evidence against him. And so a plea deal was made. This deal was that Jamie could plead guilty and he would not be sentenced to death. Date. So Jamie did just that, and on May 14th, 2017, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And as his sentence is being read to him while he's in handcuffs, I'm going to post this picture too because it's just insanity. Jamie is giving a thumbs up to the prosecutor, reading him like, you're getting locked away forever. I have no words. i got to sip my beer. It's hard when you do a podcast by yourself because you gotta, like, say, I gotta take a sip of beer because I don't want to get in cold. Like, if I had a partner, I could be sipping while they're talking, right? Anyway, Jamie's off to prison. Yay, we love to see it. But remember, I gave you a warning. Oh, that's not over, friends. His most gruesome act was about to happen as he sat in prison. Now, when he entered prison, he was considered extremely dangerous and he was unable to have any cellmates. So there he sat in his cell alone. But in March of 2019, yeah, 2019, guys, we're in 2023. It wasn't that long ago. For whatever reason, Jamie received a cellmate. Now, prison guards were set to check on the cells in that prison every 15 to 30 minutes. And I couldn't find a definite report. It varied from like 15 to 30 minutes. So I'm going to say 15 to 30 minutes. Now remember that when I tell you what happens. Now the prison guards have to be able to see clearly in when they're doing these checks. So you think that 30 minutes is a long time and that Something could happen, and it might, but if the bars are covered by anything, let's say a sheet, they're in a violation. They had to see in. So that would be, I mean, 
a whole lot of things can't happen in 30 minutes that are super bad. I wouldn't imagine. Excuse me. This schedule, though, didn't make a damn bit of difference because on March 9th, 2019, it's 7.30 a.m., Jamie's cellmate, Luis Romero, would be found dead inside the cell with Jamie. Luis had just arrived at this prison 24 hours earlier. Luis had already spent two decades in prison for a fatal shooting for a woman in L.A. Luis was just 44 years old. So he had been in prison, but he just arrived at this particular prison 24 hours prior to be placed with Jamie. And no, this was not natural causes. He was completely massacred beyond anyone could believe. All right, I'm going to say it. Guards stumbled into the cell and they saw that Jamie had cut out Luis's eyes, chopped off one of his fingers. He removed one of Luis's ribs. He carved out his lungs and then he decapitated him. I don't know necessarily in that order, but that's what he did. He cut slits in the corner of Luis's mouth, extending from ears to ears, just like the Joker smile, or also known as the Glasgow smile. So you're telling me he did this all in 15 to 30 minutes? What the hell? Also, mm -hmm, he used a single uh, razor blade to do this. Yeah, a single razor blade. So um, that would be extremely hard to do, number one, and would not be a quick process. This must have taken him hours and hours. This means the guards were not checking on him regularly. Like, holy wow. Now that cell was just horrific and covered top to bottom in blood splatters, along with a... <sighs> This is, this is where I think I got the most chills ever with what's coming. And I'm, I'm getting the bad chills right now. So there were blood spatters everywhere, along with bloody writing on the walls that read, I am the man with a thousand faces. I am not mad. I'm just differently sane. You'll never be lonely. You'll never be sad. You will always have me to dance with. Now that you will always have me to dance with, ha ha ha, I read that. Now that you will always have someone to dance with is a reference to a Batman comic where the Joker says it, right? I'm not sure which one. I didn't dive too deep into that. So if any of my peeps out there are comic buffs, will you let me know which one? Like, let me know. I'm kind of curious. I mean, I never read the comics, but I love the movies and the Joker movies. I'm pretty sure there's other cases out there that were inspired by the Jokers, which I probably will do. This was actually, this is what also creeped me out. This was in a very nice penmanship and in blood just written all over the walls. That is nuts. It's gruesome. It's all the bad things. And I did mention earlier in this episode that Jamie didn't have any psychological issues that he was diagnosed with, and he was deemed sane for trial. But how does someone just sit alone in their cell for all that time and then suddenly get a buddy and you do that out of nowhere? 
I think I read somewhere actually that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and I'm not sure if that's 100% true or if he was how bad of a case he had it. But anyway, that's not all that they found when they entered that cell. They found Jamie wearing a necklace completely made out of Luis's body parts. Yep. Mm-hmm. I said that. Mm. I have the chills. So you're telling me this man is sane? I mean, he was very smart. He read lots of books when he was younger, and he even studied up on psychology. So this makes no sense to me other than he was born evil, and his childhood helped that along. When Jamie was asked why he kills and about why he does it in the way that he does, he explained, as when someone tells a joke, it's funny, but you don't laugh. You can't laugh. So he said the drugs were losing their luster, that feeling that they gave, and that killing was the only way he could feel anything. He has no remorse remorse for anything. He just killed to kill, and that is just pure evil. He goes on to describe that when a person kills with a gun, and this is really scary that he says this, like another reason he scares me. So he goes on to describe that when a person kills somebody with a gun, it's the gun primarily doing all the work. He said that after two years, that feeling is gone and that he would forget it. He said, yes, you pull the trigger, but the gun did the killing. This is bad, guys. Hang on. And again, why I think he is scary, tied into everything else. He said he loves the torture. He loves to feel the textures, the smells, the moment, and the rot in the days after. He loves taking all that in and keeping those mental pictures that he has something to look back on years later. Oh my God. And that he can feel longer. And that is scary when researching this case. It was hard for many different reasons. I'm going to have nightmares again. This is a madman that is just beyond fucked up. Now, if you're wondering, like me, why they gave a cellmate to Jamie, well, another prisoner talked to a reporter and said that it was an inside job. Because why were they not checking so often that night? Why didn't no one hear Jamie doing this? Or I assume Luis screaming, right? There's a theory floating around that Luis was put in with Jamie on purpose. Whether it So Luis was a bigger man than Jamie. Like Jamie was pretty short. I think he was like 5'10". Not a big dude at all. Um, so whether it was to get Jamie killed by this guy or Luis killed is unsure. But they're telling us it was a setup because no one came forward to say why their cell wasn't checked on for so long. So it had to be like an inside job. It's just like turning a blind eye. Jamie did say to Olivia in his interview that he would kill again. And oh, he absolutely did in the most horrific way. He also confessed to her in that interview that he had two other murders, one being when he was 13 years old, and that he had a mentor showing him how and helping guide him 
to do all of it. Okay, all we know is there's two others, one male and one female. I don't know ages. I don't know details of it. But he did say he has two other kills, which is one at 13, which is my God. He let Olivia know that he left evidence at the crime scene to a vet on purpose. He wanted to get caught because he gave zero fucks what he left behind. And even though he was locked up for life, that he would 100% do this again. And oh, he did. He is disgusting. And whether you think, like me, that he was born evil, or you think that he was a product of his childhood, either way, he is deemed sane. And that man is scary. This is a case that will stick with you. It's been sticking with me ever since I researched it. I hope you all can sleep tonight, because I know I'm not going to sleep tonight. That is just heebie-jeebies. But... You know, I will be posting this scary man on my Insta. You can see his tattooed face. You can see him yawning. You can see him giving the thumbs up. I'm going to give it to you all um, so that you can have even more or less sleep and more nightmares. So you're welcome. And again, this episode's coming on at midnight. I'm loving how that's going. It's amazing. I'm going to take another sip of my beer. It's getting warm. And somehow it got warm in here because somehow my ceiling fan just like turned off on me. And I'm not sure why it did that because it's by a switch. Did my husband sneak in here and turn it off to try to scare me because he knows this case scares me? Or is it a ghost? A spooky season? Oh my God. Anyway, so I'm going to post him on my Instagram. And you know, that is Twisted Wicked Crime, the pod. You can buy me a beer at buymeacoffee.com slash twistedwickedcrime to give me some support. I'm going to continue to keep this ad free because I like it. It's easy for me. You don't have commercials. Yada, yada, yada. And I just hope everybody has a wonderful week. And I hope you stay happy, stay healthy. You make good choices, and most importantly, you're not Jamie Ozuna, and you stay alive. I will talk to you all later. Bye.